stop, listen, and ask yourself, have you ever pondered at the idea that there may be something to the other side? If so, and you're hearing my voice for the first time, then you may have just fallen into the void. Hey, 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 hello there, and welcome to a very special two-part episode of Into the Void, where we talk about anything and everything paranormal. I am your ghost host with the most G-Man, and before I get this episode underway, I would like to take a moment to thank you, the listener, for tuning into this podcast. Also, a very big thank you so much to our last guest, YouTuber Kelsey Davis, and her friends Ashley Marie. You could find her on YouTube, Ventures with Ashley, and their BFG, we like to call the big friendly giant, Tyler. Remember how tall? That guy's a tall man. That was a tall dude. Once again, though, thank you so much for all three of them for coming onto the show. If you haven't had a chance, check out Kelsey's channel. She has a lot of spooky and fun videos posted. For more on that, go back and listen to episode 13. Ooh, scary. <laughs> also, if you want to stay more connected with this show, you can do so by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's right. Become a member of our family and receive a custom-made Into the Void sticker along with a shout-out on the next episode and some pretty awesome tiers. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Into the Void Pod. That's patreon.com forward slash Into the Void Pod. Your support will help this show grow by allowing us to do episodes not just from this amazing studio here at Undercity Comics in Whittier, but perhaps a haunted location or to be able to do a live podcast, quite possibly from another haunt convention. The sky's the limit, but we can't meet our, those expectations without your support. So do me a favor and check out the Patreon, look it over, and if you want, support it. If not this podcast, maybe another. Hashtag support your local podcast. And with that said, let's get into this episode. This episode is dedicated to two of the world's most well-known paranormal investigators. I'm talking about Ed and Lorraine Warren. So without further ado, please help me in welcoming two gentlemen who need no introduction, but I wanted to give them one anyways. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man who looks as though he's up to something when he's doing nothing. Mr. Rene, I think Pennywise is my father. Bravo. God, I love this. That was a good one. Thank you. Hi, Renee. Hi. How are you doing, Renee? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty excited for this episode. I want to hear what you guys found, and I'm kind of also excited to share what I found. As well. I am very curious to sit to hear what you have uh, found. Yeah. This is going to be interesting. Yeah. Anything new by chance going on with you, Renee? Uh, no, nothing in the particular. Same old, same old. Working and you know trying to spend time with my lady as well too, as All much right. as I can. Okay, good, so. good, good. Well, last but certainly not least, please welcome back to the studio a man who works hard and plays even harder. Bats and ghouls, please give a warm hand to Mr. Gabriel, they call me the doctor, Diego. Hey, guys. Gabriel, how have you been? Been doing all right, you know, keeping busy. Nice, nice. All right. And uh, as you know, the Halloween season is upon us. Yes. So uh, have you started getting ready for Halloween? I bought candy. You bought candy. Yeah, and it, and I've kept it. I haven't touched it. I actually forgot that I bought it. Hey, good for so, you. I was just thinking today. I was like, I can get some. I bought candy. I don't need to buy candy. <laughs> do you have any ideas like what you're going to do for Halloween this year? Not yet. Not yet. Don't even haven't planned that far ahead. Okay. All right. No, it's fine. Any idea about a costume? 
I had to first find out what I'm going to do before I decide on costume. Okay, no, that's yeah. fine. Do you, so you still do you still dress up though for Halloween and all that? Mm, I haven't in the past couple of years, but I've been looking this year to do something. It'll okay, fun, go out and party. Awesome, awesome. Maybe. Well, uh, before we get started, I just want to say I have a couple things new for myself. Uh, we just recently got two new dogs at my house. Ooh. I'm very excited about that. Really? One is a yeah, she's a black Labrador, and um, I have a little Chihuahua. Aww. Yeah, okay. uh, Bella and Buddy. Bella and Buddy. Yeah, they're okay. both rescues from the pound. They are Aww. sweethearts beyond all doubt. Okay. Um, but Bella did try to escape through the window when I was outside. So. Is Bella the Chihuahua? Bella is actually the black lab, oh. and Buddy is the Chihuahua. Yeah, I actually crazy. Thought the same thing too. I thought. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I know. Whenever I tell people, they're like, oh, 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 oh okay. <laughs> So, listener, this episode is going to run a little bit different. See, we each chose a section to look at, research, and discuss. So, Renee will be talking about the Amityville case. Mm -hmm. Gabriel will be talking about the cases that inspired the Conjuring films. And I will be talking about everyone's favorite doll, Annabelle. Now, gentlemen, let me ask you before we officially get into these uh, cases here. Yeah. Would you say that a lot of people are unaware of who Ed and Lorraine were and why they were so popular? Yeah, actually, I um, I realized in, in doing the research that a lot of people, when the Conjuring movies came out, Amityville came out, they thought that these were just um, inspirations or rather stories that were come up, came up with for, for movies. Right. They didn't know yeah. that they were based on true events and true tales and that Ed and Lorraine were actually real people. Yeah. Um, and these were, act and the actors playing them were actually playing the real characters mm -hmm. or, in, you know, actual people. And they're all actually connected to all of our cases. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. That's yeah. So that's what, I think that's what makes it really interesting as well, too, is that. They were like essentially the go-to paranormal investigators. Yeah, they they were definitely the people that um, the uh, the church would call. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, yeah. especially when the, when the case sounded when they got something a little that sounded absurd. Yeah, but it sounded justifiable. Mm -hmm. They would call Ed and Lorraine to come in and take a look and mm -hmm. see what their thought. Yeah, that, it's really interesting. But yeah, like you were saying, Gabriel, you know, there are cases that were shown in the movies um, that you know people had seen in theaters and all, and then coming to find out that they are real people doing real investigations. Investigations it, it, that that blew my mind actually because I, I had heard of Ed Warren I had never heard of Lorraine Warren mm -hmm. um, and then I saw the films and I was like okay Ed is obviously married mm -hmm. but to know that these cases were real completely changed my perspective on these mm -hmm. films yeah. and I wish I could say it was for the better but actually it changed my perspective because then it made me want to go and dig into yeah. the actual cases so. For those who are tuning in for the first time on this show and or have no idea who we're talking about, pay close attention. For the first 50 years, Ed and Lorraine Warren were known to be America's experts in the subject of spirits and demonology. Uh, with movies like The Conjuring, Annabelle, The Nun, and The Haunting in Connecticut, the public has gotten kind of an idea of the kind of work that Ed and Lorraine Warren did when it came to the paranormal investigations. But I'm not sure if people really know the history of the Warrens or who they were before they you know, started to become well-known, along with what really happened during those investigations. Now get this, guys. With more than over 10,000 investigated cases during their career, 10,000, that's a lot. I mean, if they had a Facebook page, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Could you imagine the number of followers they, they would have on a Facebook page? Yeah. So like I said, uh, the, the kind of work that Ed and Lorraine did with their paranormal investigations, with one of the cases in particular, 
that Lorraine herself swore she would never go back to. But how does one investigate a haunted house where the residents still live there without sounding crazy? Mm-hmm. What do you think, guys? Just wait till they're yeah. gone. Yeah. Which, I mean, like, yeah, you could wait till they're gone, gone you know, yeah. and or you could approach them like as they're leaving the house or whatever. Yeah, but, be respectful but, and stuff. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, again, you want to come off in a way that doesn't sound like, hey, you have a ghost in your house. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, don't you want to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't, don't yeah. Cause a panic. Well, in order to understand that, we need to look at the Warren's history. So let's get to know the Warrens a little. Shall we? Let's. <laughs> Ed Warren. Ed Warren Miney, born September 7th, 1926 in Bridgeport, Connecticut. His father was a police officer and his mother, nothing was really mentioned about her actually, just that her name was Pauline. Very interesting. He joined the Navy at 17 years of age and he is a self-proclaimed demonologist. Now, Ed had always had some sort of connection with the paranormal and it would seem this was due to the fact that Ed grew up and lived in in a haunted house. So here now is a quote from the website warren.net in which Ed says, my family would go to sleep just around two or three o'clock in the morning. Many times I would hear the closet door beginning to open. At first, I looked into into the closet and see shapeless darkness. Then slowly, I'd start to see a light beginning to form and it would morph into a ball-like shape. So Ed goes on to say that what he saw was known, I don't know if you guys ever heard this term before, globule. Yes. You have. Okay, perfect. That's awesome. So the old powerful Google describes it as a small dark cloud of gas and dust seen against a brighter background such as a luminous nebula. Very fascinating. Uh, And Wikipedia describes it as as dark clouds of dense cosmic dust. So this is what Ed would see at night. And... To make matters more interesting, the globule would begin to form with a face of an old woman, and she was not pleasant looking. Now, I know for a fact that a globule pretty much is an orb. Right. It's pretty much just an orb. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of a lot of pictures, actually, of people capturing orbs. And then if you zoom in on the orb, you can actually see a face that forms inside these orbs. So it's not a surprise, actually, where he would see a face of a a not pleasant spirit. So it kind of makes me wonder, like, how she passed away. You know what I mean? So we got Lorraine Warren. Now, Lorraine Rita Moran, born January 31st, 1927 in Bridgeport, Connecticut, also is a self-acknowledged clairvoyant and light trance medium. Now, listener, what is a clairvoyant, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. A clairvoyant is a person who claims to have supernatural ability to perceive events in the future or beyond normal sensory contact. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine, if you will, having the ability to see images of the future. Now, imagine having to keep this information to yourself. So that's exactly what Lorraine had to do. See, she did this in fear of being rejected by her mother and father. But I guess you could say the beans were spilled one day in school when Lorraine and her classmates were outside planting a tree for Arbor Day, and Lorraine was able to see the tree in all its glory, even though they had just planted the tree. Now, imagine being with your class, and you're outside planting a tree or or planting something, and as the seed or the tree is being planted down in the ground, you're seeing it go down. But then when you look up, you're seeing the tree in all its glory already as it is. Mm-hmm. Now, when Lorraine was asked 
what she was looking at by one of the nuns, she didn't even hesitate to tell them. She flat out told them she was looking up into the tree. And this was the moment that the nun had asked her if Lorraine could see into the future. And no joke, Lorraine's answer is, I guess I can. Not even like a questionable type of, you know, I don't know, really know, or I'm not sure what's going on. She just accepted it right away. That's just, to me, that's amazing. Because there are a lot of people out there who have clairvoyancy or can see things for what they truly are. And they don't ever want to tell people because it's a scary thing, you know? For themselves, for others, people don't understand, you know, don't accept things that they don't understand. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, In 1970, Lorraine Warren was tested over at UCLA, where her clairvoyancy was tested and judged as far above average. Now, to me, that is pretty wild to be able to take a test to see where your clairvoyancy is at, and then to be told that you are above average everybody else. That's insane. So, now we have Ed, and we have Lorraine. Now let's put them together and talk about the Warrens. Because these, this is this is like just beyond anything that I could ever imagine. Just learning about them and studying them and, and the cases that they did, you know, and to learn about Lorraine separately and, and Ed separately is one thing, but to put them together, yeah. well, that that's there's your tag team right there. So Ed and Lorraine were married both at the age of eighteen, while Ed was still in the Navy. And this is something that I actually forgot to uh, to mention earlier. But when Ed was in the Navy, his ship actually went down. I don't think it was attacked. I think there was a problem on the ship and it went down into the sea. Um, I don't believe very many people were hurt or killed. And then Ed actually, when he got married, he was actually on leave. It's like, it's called survivor's leave. Mm. And he was basically on leave and that's when they ended up getting married. Their only child, Judy, was six months old when he came back from the war. And then when the war was over and Lorraine had had to find a way to make means for themselves. So it turns out that Ed and Lorraine uh, both had skills for landscaping art. Ed even attended art school in New Haven, Connecticut. All they needed now was a subject. And I take it the subject would be... Spirits. Hey, there we go. Hey, all right. I was just, I wanted to get this. I was, I was thinking, how do you draw transparent? Right? So... This is, it's, it's very fascinating that you brought that up, actually, because Ed would find a local haunted house, be it through the newspaper or word of mouth, and they would take their car and drive to the location. Now, Ed would draw the landscape of the house or the location, and it would catch the neighbor's attention, uh, who then would, like, call the house that they're in front of, letting them know, like, hey, there are some weird people standing across the street in front of your house, but across uh, the other side of the street, and they're drawing your house right now. So Lorraine would then talk to the current residents of the home, offering them the painting in exchange for information on the haunting that was happening in the home. That has got to be the smartest way to find out about paranormal activity in someone's home by drawing their home. And it, I even read that Ed would draw the house and he would draw the spirits around the house. Like he would draw a little ghost or like some sort of apparition around the house. And then Lorraine would come and bring up the painting and, you know, talk, get the information that, that they needed. So again, that's a very smart way to do it. I don't think I've ever seen anybody do that. That's pretty interesting. Cause nowadays paranormal investigators, you know, you, you have 
World Wide Web and you have social media, so you can get all types of information. And a lot of people are DIY, especially with spirit finding and such. Yes, yeah, exactly. A lot of people are DIY, that's for sure. (laughs) We, G, just do this ourselves. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So one thing to remember here is that even though Lorraine would, would go with Ed on these haunted locations, she would remain skeptical. Uh, This was due to outlandish information or overactive imagination, basically making things up to get the attention. Now, this was her thought process because, again, there are a lot of questions when someone says, I have a haunted house Mm -hmm. or my house has a ghost in it or something is possessed. There's going to be a lot of red flags first before you even put those flags away. So it doesn't surprise me that Lorraine would be skeptical of what was being told to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a recent book I read titled The Demonologist, the Extraordinary Career of Ed and Lorraine Warren, written by Gerald Brittle, Lorraine recalls the feeling she had when she and Ed started looking into these strange phenomena. And I quote, In the beginning, Lorraine remembers, I was more than a bit weary of people with whom we spoke. I thought they were kind of suffering from overactive imaginations or were just making things up to get attention. In fact, some of these things people told us sounded completely outlandish back then. So that's actually not a surprise right there. So as time went on, Lorraine uh, became convinced that what was happening, these strange phenomena, or um, was indeed conclusive. Uh, This was due to the fact that after visiting other states with other witnesses, the stories started to have similarities. The Warrens started to learn that inhuman spirits occurred in stages. Uh, The activity starts off mild, not to really cause alarm. However, there are times individuals become singled out or attacked, and there is usually a reason why they would be targeted. Before I move on here, Renee, I want to get your thoughts just kind of on the little history that we just gave away about Ed and Lorraine Warren here. Renee, what do you think? You've got two people here who get married, have a child, yeah. and then just get into the paranormal. That's the thing. It's like I find this couple very interesting because... There wasn't anything really leading up to them doing this. It's just something that they chose to do. You know, if they and obviously they were they chose the right path because they became infamous, you know. Yeah. They took yeah. on cases that, you know, no other either investigator or even people would even try to go near during especially during that time in the what, 70s? Yeah, yeah, in like the that. 70s, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of skeptics. Yeah. People <laughs> were know? just not so much ignorant but more they would want to just ignore what was going on because they didn't want to be that group of people on the street right yeah Yeah, exactly exactly so so that's the thing it's really really cool in a way that they decided to go against the grain essentially in society and just pick something that just they felt right doing it and they've been doing it ever since Yeah, yeah yeah that the passion I think slowly started coming in for them. For Ed, because he grew up in a haunted house and a lot of things would happen to him, I read that in in the book that his motivation was he wanted to see if other people are having the exact same or similar experiences that he had growing up. And I think then he he wanted to just study it and understand it more. But as far as a passion goes, I have to say, I don't think it was a passion for them. I think this is just something that Ed already had had an interest in. And, you know, Lorraine being the wife and being loyal, she said, yeah, let's, you know, let's do this. But with her clairvoyancy that she has, you know, and it's one of those like fate steps in. Yeah. You know, you've got some question. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good question, though, whether they had a passion for this or if this was just something that they, they had to do. Almost like it was like a 
A calling. A calling. There yeah. we go. So I want to turn my attention now to Renee, who did research on the case of the home in Long Island, New York. Is that correct? Long Island, yeah, New York? Yeah, yeah. Where a lot of unimaginable paranormal activity took place. <laughs> Renee? Yes. Uh, so I took on the Emmyville house in in New York. Ooh. So I chose this one because essentially this was the one that I knew about the most, uh, or at least knew infamously or famously from like the movies and stuff and i did know before then it was based on true events but i didn't know it was actually connected to all of our cases as well too okay yeah it's like that's how we're all connected in some way so when i did some research i actually found out that the family before the what is it um i mean i'm gonna mispronounce some names so oh no bear it's with okay. me yeah it's uh the the original family that i got that left the house they were the um the lutz family the lutz family yeah the yeah, lutz family the lutz family so i found out the family before the lutz family which was the defeos defeos yeah the defeo family yeah which this is basically essentially the spark that lit the hauntings in a way oh this was what brought it on or something okay was that the DeFeos moved into this house uh, with, a, they had a big family, which was consist of Ronald, Luis, were the mother and father, and their four children, or their five children, sorry, five children was Don, Alice, Mark, and John Matthew, and their eldest son being Ronnie, aka Butch. That's a big family. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and they all moved into this house, which was like, you know, they had like five bedrooms, I think. In this yeah, house. that was a pretty, it's a pretty big house. It's a huge house. Yeah. And the way, if you see pictures, listener, if you see pictures of this house, you know, it's really huge. It's like two stories, like I said, with all the five bedrooms and stuff like that. I'm assuming it has multiple bathrooms as well. Uh, we'll definitely put some pictures up on, on the Twitter page and Instagram yeah. page for sure. But yeah, it's, it's a pretty big house. So the Defios, basically this family uh, would always cater to the eldest son, Ronnie, because he was, at the time, I think he was like 20-something, maybe 30, mm. 20. And uh, he was basically like the spoiled brat in the, in the bunch because, you know, <laughs> whenever he didn't get his way, they gave him money because he would basically be very um very nasty to everyone and stuff and that he didn't get what he wanted and stuff oh he would like lash out at the family so sometimes that also includes the mental health issues as well too that sounds like my youngest (laughs) (laughs) yeah no he doesn't have like you know uh, let me let me just uh, knock on wood he doesn't have uh, a mental you know disability but he does lash out does lash out three-year-old so okay yeah yeah um, so basically <laughs> on the night, I think it was, um, yeah, I had to do like research to find out what was going on. So in the, what is it? November 13th, 1974, in the night of that night, uh, basically Ronnie DeFio runs into the town in a nearby bar screaming bloody murder, saying that his family's been murdered, that he, everyone's dead and that he needs help. And, and the whole time he's saying that it was like a mafia hit or something like that. What? He's claiming, he's claiming, oh yeah, like my family, you know? And so then when, you know, the town people saw, they saw basically everyone in the house was sleeping in their rooms and they were all shot to death. Um, The the husband and wife were dead. All four children. These were little kids too, mind you. They were less than maybe like 15 years old, all of them. Yeah. And um, they were just sleeping in their beds and they all just died. 
Uh, they they were all just shot to death. Um, so the police investigations that night came in, and the police took in Ronnie for questioning to see what was uh, the story and stuff. But then once they were interrogating him, at one point he did come out and say that it was him that shot him because they did find a rifle that was to his name and it was loaded and it was used that night and he did claim that he doesn't remember but then yet he was possessed to do it he was claiming that he was possessed all right so let me let me just real quick here i know you i know you got more on this yeah, but yeah. so let me just get this right ronnie defeo yes goes down to the town mm -hmm. in a bar yes and he tells people that his family's been murdered. Yeah, he's he's already like in a hysteria too, mind you. Okay. He's like he's weeping and he's like shocked of what happened in his house that he ran to ran, ran into town at a local bar. And he tells people that the mafia yeah. had managed to find him and and kill his family. Yeah. But then when he gets arrested, mm -hmm. he confesses that it was him. Yeah. Cuz the police were pressing on him. They were like I guess the evidence didn't fit that. Oh, uh, so there like was the interrogation no, was just yeah. starting to come down on him yeah, to where they were seen. There was no forced entry. No one broke inside the house. Okay, you know everything was intact. Nothing was stolen. Essentially, it was just basically someone was inside the house and decided just to shoot everyone. Jesus, that's and insane. So that's what Ron. That's what happened that night, and um, that will play later on. I think into the the Lutz family. Because everyone, apparently, so they did a time frame of when the family was shot, which was 3.15 a.m. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that will play into later. So fast forward, I think, maybe a couple of years, at least. I think 1977. Um, maybe a couple of years, or maybe it was less than that. Yeah, I want to say it was like three years after this, the yeah. uh, the DeFeo family was mm -hmm. murdered. I think then that's when the Lutz family yeah, moved, moved in. in. And they just... They didn't really mind of what happened in the house. The the George, the husband, the stepfather, was like, well, you know, you, you know, people don't really. I mean, houses don't kill people. People kill people. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And that was you know the line. Now, mind you, I'm going. I'm using everything that was off of the book, the Amityville Horror. Ah. Okay. So that is the closest thing to as least a reference. To what happened in the house, claiming that everyone was saying that you know not none of this really happened. I don't know. I kind of believe it in a way, especially the stuff that happened to the Lutz family as well. Right? Too. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's all very logical in a way. Yeah. Especially what happened in the house with the DeFeo family, such a violent act as mm -hmm. well too. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what happened was is that the stepfather would basically wake up at 3.15 a.m. every single night. Jeez. That he wouldn't go back to sleep. He would basically stay up after that. And when he goes back to sleep, again, every on the next night, 3.15 a.m., the same time that the family, the, the DeFeo family died. That's insane. Later on, they would claim that they sm smelled like strange odors throughout the house. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. That sounds about Strange right. Strange odor. And then also a green slime ooze would be on the walls and keyholes. That could be ectoplasm. I was just going to yeah. say, <laughs> that right there is a, a, a very... Uh, strong indicator. St yeah, strong indication uh, of ectoplasm. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, uh, real quick here, mm -hmm. uh, you phew, can't even think right now. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> so, listener, you obviously uh, know about... Um, Ghost Adventures, yeah. uh, Zach Bagan's Ghost Adventures, and um, there is a uh, house. Uh, I'm not really sure what what uh, 
state it is, but it's like the devil's house. Yeah. And there is a, a video of Zach Bagan and the crew mm-hmm. in that house filming. They're downstairs in the basement. Mm-hmm. They come back upstairs, and on the blinds mm-hmm. of the house is this strange, clear, like, ooze mm-hmm. that's just randomly forming. It's yeah. not condensation. It's not like It's oil not or water. Yeah. yeah, it's like a weird ooze, which... Another indication that that there is ectoplasm in the house, which, again, everybody back in the 80s would think ectoplasm from the Ghostbusters movie was a made up thing. But in reality, it's a it was. Yeah, it's a real thing. Okay, Renee, go ahead. I apologize. It's okay. No, that's great. (laughs) Um, And then also, obviously, the most infamous one is they experience cold spots throughout the house as well, too, at certain places. Now, I don't know. They didn't say where it would be, but I'm only assuming that would probably be inside the rooms where the you know, family members did die. One I know for a fact is the uh, the uh, the sewing room. Yes, uh, the sewing room definitely was a, a major spot. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yes, which no one did lived in that room, right? When the Lutz was there, yeah, that was I the don't. Room that they didn't it was to live she. In. She made that room the the, the wife, mm-hmm. uh, George's wife. Yeah, made that room into like a sewing room, like yeah. to, you know, men stuff put stuff mm-hmm. together. So because yeah, they didn't want to be in a room because they felt the room felt weird to yeah. like, be in. That's yeah. Something. So, uh, so basically throughout, you know, the Lutz family did think that, you know, okay, you know, there is something here. So they did get a priest to come in and bless the house to to see if, you know, that would help with all the strange occurrences and stuff like that. But it seemed like it didn't help because when the priest did come, he heard by himself when no one was around inside the house as well, too, that he did hear a voice that did yell, get out, you know? And it basically really shook him that he left. Essentially, he didn't tell the family at first. He didn't tell them to, you know, he heard something say, get out. He essentially told the wife, like, listen, you need to to leave that house. You can't be in there anymore. But, you know, they didn't listen to him. Essentially, they thought maybe, you know, well, it it just didn't work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Until, yeah, until later on, uh, after the Letts family left, he did say that, you know, he did hear a voice Mm. that says get out Hmm. um other occurrences was that the most um notable paranormal activity was that the daughter did um have an imaginary friend um named um what was it don was it don i think it was don it sounds like yeah i believe the the imaginary friend was don which was i want to say which was uh, they s- also the name of the daughter yes. that died in the DeFeo family. Yeah. But they did say that Don was like, take, um, would take up a different kind of like um, entity in a way. Mm. That it would be like a pig like creature oh. with like red eyes. But the, mo- the father and the mother did see out in their window in the dark one night glowing red eyes staring Whoa. at them and stuff. So that was another weird thing. And oh, then man. every single and then they said too that also uh George would become very like irritable almost in a way that very almost not violent but he would be he would be what is it like that state of mind where like when you're when you're up all night yeah. and then you're really tired and people are asking questions and yeah. you just become like, yeah irritable basically yeah yeah, he, yeah. He, you know he would lash out at the family and stuff like that even the mother too that's the thing but even the kids were acting strange as well too they weren't listening they weren't uh because they said originally the kids were very well behaved hmm. they knew they played very nice but for some reason the kids would get into arguments. Everyone would yell at each other. And then just one night, they just decided just to grab their stuff and leave. Nothing mm. major happened. It was just basically the combination of everything happening that it wasn't going to get any better. And they decided just to just 
leave the house, not even grab any sort of kind of like personal belongings. Personal belongings. They left everything there. So, out of curiosity, the, the, within the research that you did, yeah, did, was there any mention of like a, a physical attack or some sort of like mental attack or like even like a dream state attack? There was only thing that I what I found from my research what research was that George was basically just more and more aggressive each and every day ah i see okay to the point where it's like they the mother i think the the mother or the family came to agreement that it was the house okay they didn't really think it was because that's the thing is that they didn't initially thought it was a paranormal thing they you know they just thought okay it's just strange occurrences and Mm -hmm. stuff like that coincidences basically yeah yeah. and they just like brush it off in a way yeah but that it, it just kept happening so close in between that they realized it wasn't going to get any better. Oh, my God. Jeez. So, yeah. So, they just moved. They moved. And then, obviously, um, everyone knew about their story. They moved into, I think it was, like, the uh, an in-law's house. Mm. Um, and then they said that, you know, whatever they left did follow them, essentially. In oh, a way. man. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, you know, um, that really kind of was, like, really weird to me that unfortunately that they didn't they didn't essentially leave their problems behind right it still followed yeah even though they went as far away as they can still strange occurrences happened but i think it was like the tetherness of the house yeah it was like an almost like an echo kind of in a way that the further they got the less occurrences happened more and more and when the years went on um i think they just happened less and less Interesting. Yeah, that's that's insane, dude. Yeah, that was really that was I was kind of that's what I was really interested. I was mostly interested in the family before then too. Right. Because it was really interesting to see that okay that happened before they moved in, and all the stuff that happened, especially the you know the three fifteen a.m. Right. Yeah. That's what really caught my eye was that they died at three fifteen a.m. But then George would wake up consistently at waking up at exactly three fifteen. Yeah, it was always on the dot. Yeah. This so, might actually scare you guys, but the past three days I've been waking up at three fifteen. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> I was I was thinking it was much later, and I decided to check my phone. And I was like, "Okay." So I woke up about three, four minutes ago, and it's three nineteen. So, <laughs> oh man, See, it's already starting, guys. Yeah, we do the research, and now it's it's starting. Well, that's to come. the thing. I was doing the research, and then it was literally this last night. I just kind of I didn't wake up, but I mean, well, I kind of did, but I, I did find it hard to go back to sleep, and I was. I felt something was always looking at me when I was kind of laying down. Yeah. So that was the weirdest thing that <laughs> it happened. It was me. <laughs> Gabe was like... <sighs> and Gabriel in the corner just... <sighs> Go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> like Hey, Arnold, hey Arnold's uh, Helga Stalker. <laughs> yeah, so that is my... Uh, take on the Emilyville house yeah you know i hope that was cool or enough information for you guys no that was perfect renee thank you so much for sharing the uh, amityville case um we're gonna come back at the end of everything here because i have a couple things that you mentioned that i wanted to actually bring up go for it that ed had talked about in his book towards this case so we will definitely talk about at the end uh i'd like to now move on to something that i've been very interested to know about more more sorry to interested to know more about uh gabriel you took on the research of the two cases that inspired the conjuring films and i'm looking at you right now and you have that look in your face like ah crap it's my turn um so before we get into that uh before we go into what you found i wanted to ask you gabriel what was the most challenging part about this research i would say the most challenging part was because i was trying to stay away from 
researching the movie and focus on the actual families that, that inspired this. Um, so I, I've mentioned before to you before this, I've only seen The Conjuring. I haven't seen The Conjuring 2 nor Annabelle. I have seen uh, the two of the the versions of M- Amityville Horror. Okay. But um, in, in any case, I, I didn't want to go back and watch them and, and then be, become tainted or have, have my information tainted by the movie right. and, and Hollywood. Too, yeah, yeah um, that is that was really hard for me to try and stay away from the movie mm-hmm. um, because, you know, like you said, you don't want to be tainted from something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I try to stay, uh, stick to what I what I could research um, independently regarding the families, of course. Okay. So uh, it wasn't too challenging, but of course, uh, you know, I, I wanted to go back and watch the movies just to be, <laughs> be a little bit more on it but yeah, in any yeah. case it's it's uh it's information that inspires these uh these tales in these movies so okay well take it away gabriel all right so um the conjuring actually came out in 2013 the conjuring 2 2016 directed by james wan uh actor patrick wilson uh who played ed warren uh and vera formiga who played lorraine warren uh, were portraying the Warrens in these films. In case, listener, you have no idea who that is, um, go see Aquaman. He plays Ocean Master yes. in the Aquaman film. Yeah. I just want to point that out because some people don't really know. You know, they you have to like give the it. simple yeah. reference. Yeah. I'm sorry, Gabriel, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> you're like um, going off over here. So, <laughs> since we're talking about acting beforehand, before I get into yeah. my research, it uh, turns out that um, Patrick Wilson, uh, he did actually mention that uh, during the second movie when they were filming, he started noticing some strange goings on. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. Curtains were moving violently. Uh, He would hear children laughing or a child laughter in his home, um, which is just kind of odd. That is. (laughs) So, uh, as I mentioned before, sometimes, uh, you know, just knowledge of, of the paranormal or specific things, uh, cause you to, I guess, uh, become magnetic to these, these, these occurrences. So, uh, and a little bit more open to the idea that they're happening and you're more aware so, listener, be careful. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you this story. You may start to notice some strange things going on. So, uh, getting into the stories. That was creepy. All right, right. go ahead. <laughs> getting into the, uh, the history here. So, in 1971, the Pern family uh, moved into their farm home uh, house in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Uh, this family was uh, Carolyn and Roger Perrin and their five daughters, uh, who were the oldest, Andrea, then Nancy, Christine, Cindy or Cynthia, and April. Um, they noticed some strange things going on in the house. Uh, nothing really major at first. You know, as everything happens, it always kind of just starts to roll into into um, more noticeable things. So at first, you would see maybe notice something was not where you left it. Uh, or just missing altogether, you know. Maybe you know you can easily pass this off. Like, I thought I left that comb here. I, I must have put it somewhere else and just forgot. I misplaced my keys. Where could they be? Yeah, I was gonna say it's like mis- like misplacing your keys at home, and you're like, wait, I could have sworn I just had them there. Yeah. yeah uh, maybe I put them in my pocket in my jacket. So. So they're it, minor things. They're that... all dismissible. Oh, okay. Then you know, Carolyn would start noticing and hearing like scratches and noises coming from rooms that nobody was ever in. Mm. Um, you know, come, like the scratching on the kettle oh. in, in the kitchen and no one's in the kitchen. Uh, then she would notice that when she, after she'd clean and sweep and mop and everything, uh, there'd be small piles of dirt like in, on the floor, which is odd. They're little neat piles on the floor, Yeah, you know, um, which think just thinking about it, 
as a ghost, you're just messing around with them. And I want to swear just because it, it sounds a little more, you know, it's like, I'm just going to leave this dirt right here after she cleaned. Right. <laughs> My mom would be pissed off. Like, who left this dirt here? <laughs> <laughs> I just cleaned this. <laughs> it's like, well, at least they put it in one spot. I right. That up. Thank you for at least, you know, putting it in one spot. <laughs> That's probably something I would do. <laughs> Um, and then afterwards, the daughter started noticing things around the house, you know, spirits, something in the corner of their eye. Uh, and then as they start becoming more frequent um, and realizing that these are spirits, that they noticed that most of them were harmless, you know, just passing by. But there were very few. There were a couple that uh, were, you know, malicious and angry, you know. Really? Yeah. Just mm. aggressive. I guess you could say aggressive, verbally aggressive. Oh, okay. Um, you know. Uh, the worst one, the worst one that we found was one that was known as Bathsheba. Ooh. Now, funny thing, um, Bathsheba, when they actually, <clears throat> even Carolyn, uh, when these things started going on, she went in and did some research of her own to find out what's going on with my house. Uh, come to find out, um, Bathsheba, there was a Bathsheba that lived on the property in the 1800s. So, hmm. yeah, the, the mid-1800s... Um, she was said to be a Satanist. Oh, wow. Or a witch. Uh, she was said to have been involved in a neighbor, neighbor child's death, um, although she was never convicted. There was never a trial. But she, when she died at 73, she was buried in a nearby Baptist church. Now, the daughter, uh, the eldest daughter, Andrea Perrin, um, in an interview, she said, whoever the spirit was, she perceived herself to be the mistress of the house and resented the competition my mother posed for that position. Whoa. So she became very aggressive. Um, and even if you want to relate this into the movie, uh, she was the, the, the angry ghost that you would see. Uh, you would see a part where Patrick Wilson was uh, standing and talking to um, Vera Farmiga, you know, Ed and Warren were talking outside. Right. And there were feet hanging behind him. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, Bathsheba or Bathsheba Sherman was her 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 name. Um, she actually was um, she died there or she died. And uh, as I mentioned, they they said that she was a, she might have been a witch. Yeah. Well, stories and of course it's stories because we can't really go back and and check that this is true. However, um, it said that when she died, the moment of her death, her body became like stone. Oh. So witch. <laughs> right witchy <laughs> uh, I'm sure she'll sink right or will she float <laughs> oh <laughs> sinker or floater I love how we're making fun of this woman when, when all this really happened by the right? way yeah, so. we're not cursed alright <laughs> um, but I guess you can uh, I guess on the opposite side there was a benevolent spirit a spirit that seemed to be kind of um, protective in a sense and, mm. and that spirit uh, he went by the name of Johnny Arnold now, Johnny Arnold, you know, he seemed to be kind of protective, would would uh, uh, try to, I guess you can say, like, protect the children from any other spirits that were harmful, you know, harmful or, or, or malicious towards them. But if you happen to, you know, meet eyes with him, it's almost he was skittish and he would disappear. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, Johnny Arnold, good spirit. Yeah, I was going to say, Johnny Arnold. That sounds like a good name for a spirit, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so continuing on, the families noticed, started noticing the smell of like rotting flesh um, in the house. Uh, then you notice even more things going on. You know, poltergeists. Uh, the beds would, would rise off the floor. Um, 
the father, Roger, oftentimes he'd have to go into the basement, although he always tried to avoid going into the basement because it was a dirt basement. It wasn't paved. Um, you know, he'd always feel like something was cold and stinking that was like with him. You know, it was like the sensation, like who's with me, like someone's standing behind me. But uh, he'd have to go into the basement whenever like the, the boiler or water heater or whatever would, would break because he'd have to go, you know, restart it so that the family would be warm in the night. Um, so a lot of odd things are going on here. And uh, it turns out in the research that Carolyn also uh, looked up, she was able to find out a little bit more history uh, in this home uh, on the property. The property actually belonged to a family of, uh, the, they, well, there was eight generations of this family who lived and died in, they died in odd ways, a lot of them. Hmm. Um, a lot of the children were um, drowned in the nearby creek. Wow. Um, they were, some of, some of them were hung in the house. Oh, wow. Yeah, and there was just, you know, no one, they, there was, it was always mysterious causes, like how did this happen? But there was, and you never, said there was eight generations, eight generations of family that, members. Wow. And over, and it's not just like, you know, a couple of family members here and there, but over the entire eight generations, there's just been, you know, different odd deaths, you know, in the family around this house, this property. Oh, so it's easy to see why there's something going on in the Perone family house. Eventually, the Warrens became involved into the story uh they definitely said that there is a presence here they wanted to make you know they started drawing attention to it and on one visit lorraine she performed a seance to attempt to try to contact the spirits that were possessing the family and carolyn the mother she during this seance became possessed and spoke whoa. in tongues whoa her chair rose from the ground and apparently flew across the room like she was thrown. she was in the chair she was in the and chair and got thrown like across the room with her in the chair yeah jeez now the movie actually shows that ed performs a an exorcism to to free her of this of uh, the spirit of the possession uh that actually didn't happen even lorraine said that ed knows that he cannot be he could he would not do this this is not something he would do that only a, a catholic priest would be able to perform this exorcism right so but of course hollywood wanted to spice it up a little bit yeah throw it give yeah. it some more action that's something we're going to notice with all these films, by the way, yeah. is that every Hollywood film about something that is based on true cases, in order to keep it going, you got to, you know, you got to amp it up. So, but yeah. honestly, just what you're telling me so far, it, it's more eerie to hear about the real life case than to actually see this movie, which I'm not, I'm not dissing the movie. I, I, if I encourage you, listener, go watch these films. They are very entertaining. But if you really want to know the truth, Gabriel, go ahead. So during the seance, later on, uh, as, as she was older, uh, Andrea, the eldest daughter, she actually secretly watched the seance. You know, she peeked oh, behind the man. door. Um, nothing happened to her, but she was able to notice and see this what was going on. And she said, I thought I was going to pass out. My mother began to speak a language not of this world in a voice not her own. Her chair levitated and she was thrown across the room. She witnessed this going on, and she later said the movie was much milder than what actually happened in that what? house. You know, Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood wanted to make it more relatable to the common people. You know, yeah. if you start throwing things that are just way too paranormal, it's going to be very hard for um, someone to believe. Oh yeah, that's real. That that can truly right. happen. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's there's room for 
for doubt. For doubt. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So eventually, after the seance, uh, Roger he didn't. He felt that the Warrens were the reason why his wife was like this. That this had happened to her. So they kicked. So Roger kicked them out. He kind of blamed them for for this happening. And his wife, she became, I guess you can say, unstable mentally. She was just never quite right. Uh, he blamed her for their, her mental stability at this point. Mm. Um, and for the next 10 years, because, you know, the market, the, you know, the retail market is, is uh, so expensive for homes, they were never able to leave. Oh, man. So for 10 years, they were kind of just stuck in this situation, trying to make best with what the circumstances were. Right. And eventually, they were finally able to move out, have enough money to be able to get out of this situation. And after that, the the haunting ceased it didn't follow them for you know great so it didn't follow them oh that's Um, that's luck then because for them to go through that for 10 years and then to move and not have anything follow them i mean that that's to me that feels like that's a lucky break for them yeah unlike the 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 lutz family i think uh, andrea had said that there was uh, a lot of paranoia of course after that but there was great relief lorraine she eventually had come around to say that just certain families are prone to disturbances Maybe it's just because this family, the, they maybe because of, you know, how uh, they were a large family, they were kind of, you know, represented in, uh, you know, of the old family. They were a large family. They were, okay. You know, like, lo- uh, you know, there was a lot of history with the family. So maybe just that, that had like clinged on to them. Mm. And so interesting to note after this, the following owners of the home, the parent family home, they moved in with all the stuff they hadn't even finished like unpacking from what i understand and things were just way too out of control they left everything that was already in the home and left the home what like they had just moved in and they were gone so all their all their boxes everything still in the home yeah jeez and that tells you though just how high of an activity uh you know and how many spirits were in that actual home to where a family moves in and they can't even finish unpacking everything. Yeah. That's insane. So, I mean, it was just lingering, I imagine. Um, but I guess on a, on a good note, the current resident, the current owner, uh, she actually never really noticed anything paranormal. That's uh, Her name is Norma uh, Sutcliffe. Uh, you actually will see interviews if you go on YouTube. You, you can look her up. Oh, nice. Um, she actually was mad about the movies. Wow. Because she hasn't experienced anything paranormal. And as Lorraine said, just certain families are more prone to these disturbances, right? right? So I think that she never had this experience because they were not drawn to her. Now, the only thing she's angry about are there's people, of course, breaking into her home, uh, you know, trespassing, trying to see if they can catch something yeah. you know, in her home. And she's found people in her home and how, you know, how scary is that? Like, oh, you're, you're, you never really notice anything paranormal, but to find something that is real, you know, a real person in your home because they want to see if this, if this stuff is real. You know, that's a good, a good reference right there. Cause uh, our last guest, Kelsey Davis, that came on the show, she had actually said something on one of her videos that I have actually found to be come very, very true when it comes to the paranormal. And that is ghosts don't scare people 
people scare people. Yeah. And for this woman to to be living in this home, to be own, owning this home and knowing about everything that had happened and nothing happens to her, but now she has to deal with, you know, people breaking in and standing on the property and, you know, taking pictures and what I'm, I'm guessing they have like tours that would walk by and and talk about, you know, what happened to this family. That just honestly, that just sucks for her. And I'm, I'm so sorry that she has to go through that. Right. Yeah. Uh yeah, you know, give her her privacy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if anything, you know, um, I, I don't think she wants to market it, but I'm sure she could. You know. Yeah, she could. I mean, she could definitely make a profit off that, but it sounds like she just wants to live her life. Yeah, she's know? happy on the property and let's, you know, not rile up the spirits and cause yeah. something else to happen. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What you? Okay, awesome. So that's that's um, the parent family. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. So uh, as I had mentioned, this all took place um, in... Rhode Island in Harris, Harrisville, Rhode Island. And this was during the, uh, was it 1970, I believe I had said. Yeah. This was still in the 70s. Yes, it was still in the 70s. Was, okay. So, so after this, um, you know, the Warrens were still, were, were gain, gaining more popularity or more um, notability, I should say, especially with the church. They were more involved with the church. Uh, they eventually um, were requested to, you know, to, I guess so much, uh, involvement in a case that was across the sea in the UK, United mm. Kingdom. Uh, so it's about maybe six years after the, the parent family, the Enfield in Enfield, England, in about August, 1977, the Hodgson family, they started seeing and hearing strange things in their home. Uh, the daughter, Janet, about 11 years old at the time, she sat up one night in her bed and she noticed that her dresser moved across the room. It slid across the room. So, and you know, so it kind of like started almost abruptly. Like all of a sudden, these things started happening. Uh, she, they'd hear the family would hear knocking coming from different places in the in the home. The mom, she actually thought that somebody was in her home. You know, a burglar or um, like a drifter hiding yeah. in the walls or hiding in a room or somewhere like somewhere they didn't know. So she called the police and they would not find anything. Um, however, they did say that the an officer reported that he saw a chair rise from the ground and fling itself across the room like it it happened Jeez. right in front of him he you know he, another chair another chair you know yeah yeah i'm thinking these ghosts are like trying to mimic wrestling matches or they just don't <laughs> like chairs you know <laughs> standing room only <laughs> yeah and even the daily mirror the the local paper that was in the area they reported that they noticed some strains going on when they went in to to kind of report as well on it uh things would be moving they'd hear the knocking in, in different rooms uh so they'd have these similar sightings uh also legos and marbles like toys would fly around the room and they would be hot to the touch like too, oh wow too hot to pick up so things are starting to happen and they also hear dogs barking like from empty rooms hmm hellhounds right yeah right, so that's definitely a, it sound of a hellhound that's for sure yeah lights flickering on and off and i actually um in one one case that i was hearing it there was lights oh no that was a. Uh, um i have to digress i have to go back a little bit so in the current amityville home uh, I actually happened to jump back because I wanted to mention this because it have to do, has to do with flickering lights. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Corey and Jennifer Heinzen, uh, current owners of the, the new home. Mm. Um, Corey, he actually was uh, moving stuff in and he noticed that lights were flickering in the home as well. And they moved into this home knowing what, what had happened. Okay. Course, but they also wanted, he said he had noticed that lights were flickering, but there were no lights in that room. 
I'm sorry. Wait, say that one more time. So lights were flickering in a room that had no lights. Yeah. What? <laughs> so he had to leave. Okay. I mean, <laughs> he had to step out. So I would I would step out and then start the car and take off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's insane. So I digress. Um, lights were flickering on in this room. Even and this one I kind of think was interesting. Like, hey, they're paint rant. Coins would fall out of nowhere, like in the room, like just coins would like fall out of, out of, out of the air. And just on the floor. Like, yeah. And you would hear like that coin noise that it makes when it hits the floor. Yeah. Coins are just falling out. It's like, hey, at least they're giving, paying me rent to stay here. You know? Right. I know. Hey, at least you got help. Thanks for the rent and all. Yeah. Furniture would start spinning on the floor or they would just turn over without anybody touching it. Um, then, uh, and I actually, I talked to you about this a while back. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, Absolutely. Finally, the last straw in one of the rooms, there was an old iron, iron fireplace, mm. right? And it was ripped out of the wall and just flung across the room. That is a lot of energy yeah. to be able to pull an iron fireplace. Yeah. So it was after this, finally, that um, paranormal investigators all started showing up and wanted to get involved, claiming that they could help with the situation. Um, but most of them decided that it's probably you know all fabricated that even one of the children said on a couple of times they made up things that were happening um not really specific as to what exactly what was because at that point they just kind of left it all as folly but enter ed and lorraine warren Mm. they came in and said no this is not just a haunting this is a demonic presence Mm. so they speculated differently they wanted to, and they and they went ahead and they were trying to prove this. But at this point, because there had been so much skepticism, the the family, you know, they thought that this was just being exaggerated. Even people thought, you know, here come the war and such big names. They're trying to make a name for themselves. Yeah, so they they're pretty well known at this point to where it makes it seem like, oh, okay, the Warrens are going to show up, which means that we're going to get you know camera crew and publicity and all this stuff. And yeah. okay, so they thought, you know. We're not going to try to um, put this out there. You know, this family, uh, they didn't want the that publicity. You know, they thought the Warrens are just taking this out of proportion. But Ed, Ed stood by it saying that, no, this is a demonic presence and you need to get this taken care of. Mm. Um, after two years of this happening, all the hauntings in this home, it, it just stopped. You know, they it's all of a sudden just quit as quickly as they started they just stopped and Hmm. the family again they were skeptical that the warrens really had anything to do with it you know um they had come in to to do some uh, some investigation and and of course lorraine tried to involve herself as well and contact the the demon spirits um but again they were they were the family didn't want to deal with them at the time so it was you know even though the movie puts a lot of presence in it from what I understand, there wasn't too much involvement because the family became very skeptical and just didn't want this um, taken out of proportion. Right. Yeah. No, I, I can imagine. And you know, that's another thing too is those, those the hauntings that happen. You know, the families and everything. When you when you're doing an investigation, uh, there are families out there that you know they'll they'll ask you, can you keep this on the down low? Can you keep this hush hush? We don't want exposure like this to our family, especially our children who are already dealing with enough as it is spiritual wise and now they're gonna have to deal with you know actual people yeah that that's something that i i've never really been 
too fond of like you know you got your ghost stories your your uh, ghost adventures paranormal state all these different types of shows that come out and it makes you to me it's it's just it's a form of entertainment and we are entertained by it because we want to see what's going to happen but at the same time you know i feel bad for people you know, don't really want to be exposed uh, on television or, you know, on social media of some sorts. So, yeah, that that's man. So, Gabriel, you found a lot of really interesting uh, research and facts that led up to these movies being made. That that's thank you so much for sharing that. That was fascinating. Thank you. Yeah, there's also so you guys know there's um there is a documentary with the Hodgson family uh, mm. that was done and uh, check it out. Yeah, that's something we're going to listen to. If you get a chance, go online, check out these stories, look at these pictures, and really just do your do yourself a favor and try to assess it yourself. Really, you know, really figure out, is this, you know, were these genuine, these hauntings pretty genuine, or were they more publicity staged? I'm going to say they were genuine 100%. You know, Ed and Lorraine Warren had done so many different cases and had dealt with so many different entities and spirits and, and inhuman spirits that... You know, it just it makes you wonder how in the world did Ed and Lorraine Warren even continue to, you know, live their daily life? Yeah. And that's that's something that I know I'd I'd like to touch on real quick here before I get into this this uh, next case. And that is, is that the the Warrens, you know, they have a museum there. There's a museum at the home of the Warrens. Um, And this is where Ed. Uh, and Lorraine kept all their memorabilia. I want to say memorabilia, but no. it's more of they're more like um, it's a ob- vault. Yeah, it's a vault that objects that are haunted objects, uh, cursed objects, possessed objects um, that stay there, reside there. And you are, if you ever get a chance, listener, to visit this museum, you are to never ever touch anything in the in that museum because there is a very high chance that you will come back with something just watch annabelle coming home exactly and speaking of annabelle let's uh get into this (laughs) something that i uh don't really want to talk about but we're definitely going to have to because like i said i researched annabelle the uh research that i did uh not exactly too thrilled. Now, I will say this. Before I get into this uh, research that I have found on everybody's favorite doll, Annabelle, I will say this. Doing this research, definitely weird occurrences were happening while doing this research. For those of you who follow me on Facebook, for those of you who are my close personal friends on Facebook, you know for a fact that on my Facebook, I was putting down comments about how creepy and how uncomfortable I was feeling. Yes, yes Renee saw, Gabriel saw. Um, I was feeling very uneasy uh, doing the research on the doll. And the reason being is because I personally, uh, in case this is your first time listening to this podcast, I personally have had my own uh, paranormal attacks. So if you want to hear more on that, go back to episode two. Nobody dos. Um, so imagine, if you will, receiving a doll that you had no idea would completely change your outlook on ghosts. Well, that's exactly what happened to three people in Connecticut. Ed and Lorraine received a phone call from an Epi- I'm going to say I'm probably going to say this wrong. Uh, Episcopal, is that right? Episcopal? Episcopal. Episcopal, an Episcopal priest who was relaying a message he had received from a clergyman 
from another state. The message was considered to be sketchy at first until the priest mentioned about an attack, a physical attack from the doll itself. Now, needless, needless to say, Ed and Lorraine took the case and drove over an hour to meet with the people making the paranormal claim. When they arrived at the house, they were met at the door by Deirdre Bernard, a registered nurse, the first woman who had been experiencing strange occurrences with the doll. Now, next they met Laura Clifton, who is also a nurse and boyfriend, Cal Randall. Now, I could be wrong here, um, because I don't think it really specified whether he was the boyfriend or if he was just a friend, like another roommate living there. I'm going to say he was the roommate, not the boyfriend. So hmm. I'll retract what I said for the boyfriend part. Okay. Um, now, uh, so the three of them started to explain from the beginning about the doll and why her name was Annabelle. Deirdre began to explain that the doll was given to her on her birthday from her mother. It was meant to be like a... Uh, like a novel decoration in the home. Yeah, remember uh, childhood. Yeah, yeah, like something to just like put up and it's there. My grandparents actually, they have a room that I believe was my mother's room when she was growing up. Mm -hmm. And the, in that room, they had a Raggedy Ann. Is it Raggedy Ann and Andy or something like that? Or I forgot, um, <laughs> no, yeah, right. I forgot. Yeah. I forgot. The, yeah, the but there was yeah, but there was a boy and a girl. It was a raggedy, both raggedy dolls. I mean, it was always eerie for me to go in my grandparents' house, and for any anyone who's ever been in their grandparents' house, you, you kind of get like an eerie feeling in there because yeah. it's an old house, you know. So yeah. to me, it was always eerie. But so it was. Uh, Deirdre began to explain that the doll was given to her on her birthday from her mother. It was meant to be sort of a decoration for the home. It wasn't until a year later that the women began to notice that the doll had been moving on its own. See, it started off small. In fact, Deirdre began to explain that the day of her birthday, she had placed the doll on her bed in a certain position. When they came back home, they noticed the doll had changed positions. Now, Laura then chimes in and explains that things started to become stranger after they had seen the doll was changing positions in the home. And to make matters worse, Laura explains that the doll even moved rooms. One night when Deirdre and Laura came home, Annabelle was sitting in a chair at the front door as if she was waiting for them to come home. Another chair. What's with the chairs, by the way? It's just it's just fascinating that like these spirits or these inhuman spirits are, are using a lot of chairs, like a furniture to, to try and hurt people or to make it even more eerie. I mean, to come home and have a doll sitting in a chair in front of your door, that yeah. is just... That's really weird. Well, it, imagine what if it was like sitting on the fish tank? I'd be kind of just odd too. So. Uh, no, that would, no, you're right. That would be odd. Like you come home and the doll's sitting on top of the stove like, you know, hey, what's going on? What? What are you on the stove for? So you're right. It, there, that is, it is odd to have a doll sit anywhere when after you just place it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so another incident that had happened, Annabelle started leaving notes on little pieces of parchment paper. Now, here, here's where it gets a little creepier, okay? One, they never owned any parchment paper in the house. Okay, now and, that's where, yeah. Yeah, they, would, they had no parchment paper in the house. They never owned any. They don't know where it came from. Number two is the writing was like in a red marker or pen or pencil, and they didn't own anything like red marker or pen or pencil in their home. So again, where was she getting this stuff from? Was she going to the market? Right? I mean, does Who, she like... Whose money was she using? Seriously. It just, it really makes you wonder, like, where did she randomly get this stuff? That's, now, yeah. here's something for you. The notes would say stuff like, help us or help Cal. 
I remember Cal is the other roommate. But the worst of them all was when Annabelle was found in Deirdre's room. And now this is where I started freaking out because as I was reading this, I just had this eerie, eerie feeling like somebody was in my house just watching me, you know, uh, go over the research. And I just kept getting this like weird a horrible feeling in my stomach um, Like I wanted to throw up And it wasn't like one of those like oh he hasn't eaten He needs to eat no it was literally just like I had just had something And then I was feeling sick And it wasn't like a heavy dinner it wasn't like a Huge piece of pizza or anything It was soup for crying out loud And I felt sick and I know For a fact that it wasn't expired either So the worst of it was when they found uh, They found the doll in Deirdre's room with blood On her hand and three blood dots On the doll there was blood, human blood, on Annabelle's hands and three dots of blood on her chest. Now, there is an indication that if there are things that come in three from something that is inhuman, that is considered to be a mockery of the Holy Trinity. Right. So... That there is a huge possibility that right away yeah. she's already she already knows that you know or she or it or whatever already knows that you know they can do whatever they want. Yeah, that pretty much put convinced them that there was more to Annabelle than meets the eye, and they consulted a medium to find out more about the doll. They learned from the medium that the doll's name was Annabelle Higgins, and that she had died on the property. So she had been trying to communicate with them by moving the doll around. Uh, she said that everyone was so busy with his or her life that she had no one else that she could relate to. So here's where the big red flag comes in, or at least one of the many red flags that come in. According to the medium, Annabelle just wanted to be loved. Then she asked if she could stay with the girls by living in the doll. And to make matters worse, the lady said yes. It's like this is little little kid just wants some company, you know? Right? So, yeah. And yeah. and you know what? I will say this: there are a lot of cases out there of uh, paranormal cases where a child is involved, the, the spirit of a child. Uh, look at the the uh, look at the Roosevelt Hotel. Uh, look at the Mitzvah Hotel. Uh, there is a case, There is rumors of children running around, um, you know, and there are witnesses that have seen children running around. So, and children's spirits seem to be drawn to uh, the female presence because of the whole motherhood and all that. So to me, that doesn't surprise me that this doll or Annabelle Higgins, and I air quote Annabelle Higgins here, wants to be with these with these women, wants to stay with them, you know, and the fact that they said yes, yeah. there's another red flag. Now remember, they are nurses and nurses, they care for people. They tend to people. So when they heard that it was a, a little child, a little girl named Annabelle Higgins, and they thought to themselves, well, she just wants to be loved. So they said yes. So Ed began to ask about the physical attack that happened to Cal Randall. In a dream, Cal woke up to see his own body lying on the couch. But in the dream, something was off. And as Cal looked down at his leg... Oh, God, this is getting creepy. He could see Annabelle climbing up on him, wrapping her hand around his neck and choking the life out of him. Nope. <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. So the worst, though, was when Cal and Laura were downstairs packing for a trip that Cal was going to take when they heard a loud thump 
from upstairs. Cal, being the male protector, wanted to go upstairs to see, you know, if anyone had broken into the house or if anything, right. you know, if someone was there. So when Cal got to Deirdre's room, where he was sure the noise came from, he found Annabelle on the floor. And as he was standing there trying to figure out how the doll fell on the floor, he felt the presence of someone dark and unwelcoming. Now, when I read this part, that's when I started feeling like somebody was watching me in my house. In fact, my dog Bella barked randomly at, at like the most random spot in the house. And then, but it was only like two barks and then that was it. And I thought maybe because she heard someone outside, I had the windows open. So, but I mean, it, it's, it made me jump. Just the timing of it. Yeah, the timing couldn't have been more perfect, I guess you could say. So Cal turned around to see what was behind him and there was nothing there. But, but something, now this is creepy, something caused him to scream a blood curling scream. So at this point now, they're talk- like I said, they're talking to Ed and Lorraine about what everything that happened. Laura kind of just like takes over the story, explaining that Cal can't even finish what had happened. So she's explaining that Cal had yelled suddenly and was grabbing his chest and blood was beginning to form on his shirt. Laura was able to get Cal, uh, get him to calm down and go downstairs and take a look at his chest. What she saw were cuts along Cal's chest. So seven to be exact, three going vertical, four going horizontal. Ed even asks if he can see the cuts, but Cal lets him know that they had already they had already gone away the, the day after, and by the third day, they were practically gone, which is, by the way, that happens a lot. If you're doing an investigation that has to do with something that is inhuman or demonic, people will, you'll see pictures of it all over, uh, you know, the internet. People get cuts randomly. There's one picture of a guy who got a six as a cut on the back of his neck. There are people who get three cuts. Some people get four or five or seven cuts. The three cuts that you receive are, again, a mockery of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So that, to me, does not surprise me that he would get that. But it does surprise me that they that these cuts were vertical and horizontal. That's the part that got me. Here's where Ed and Lorraine start to do what they do best. Once Cal, Laura, and Deirdre were done explaining everything they possibly could about the doll, Ed started to give them give all three of them the hard truth of what was really going on and what he told them was probably the last thing they wanted to hear so ed explains that inadvertently brought a spirit into the apartment so ed was was going to have to call uh, father everett to perform a blessing or even in exorcism over the house and the doll. Now, like you had said beforehand uh, in your research, that uh, in the in the movie portion of the Conjuring film, Ed was performing, you know, the exorcism. Right. He had to do it. But you, like you said, he's not one to actually perform an exorcism. So, therefore, in this actual case, he had to call Father Everett mm-hmm. to perform it. Now, most importantly, he told them there is no Annabelle. What you've been told was a lie. They were duped into thinking that the doll was a spirit of a little girl attached. So it turns out it was the work of an intelligent spirit. And Ed explains that all three of them, to all three of them, that ghosts and human spirits cannot bring phenomena of this nature and intensity. Mm -hmm. They were dealing with something inhuman. 
And I know I've said Inhuman a lot because that is like the number one title that Ed is giving this thing is that it is Inhuman. And lastly, Ed Warren gives a rundown of the honest mistakes that they made, which were one, giving the doll recognition which brought fear and even injury into the home. Mm-hmm. By acknowledging that doll, it was already starting to gain power in the house. Uh, calling a medium was their second mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is because the medium is used as an instrument of communication. So it allowed the inhuman spirit to give false information yeah. away to these people or to the, to the three. And the worst of it all was when they gave permission to the inhuman spirit to move into the doll. And that's the last thing you'd want to do. With all that had happened, Ed and Lorraine were able to get a blessing done uh, on the house and and holy water on the doll. Then Ed and Lorraine Warren took Annabelle back to their home and placed her in the Museum of Haunted Objects located in their home in Connecticut. Now, here is something that is crazy. While they were driving home with the doll in the car, in the back seat, as if sitting like a child... The car began to act funny. Uh, The car would stall. It would turn off automatically. The brakes wouldn't work. And then all of a sudden they would work. The car was violently, almost like the the steering wheel was pulled. And it was like, like Ed was driving and the steering wheel got pulled as if Annabelle was trying to crash them, kill them. Now, they did manage to make it all the way home and put Annabelle in the museum, but they didn't just put Annabelle like right in the case. So on, online, you'll see a picture of the actual Annabelle. She's inside this case that says, uh, you know, do not open for any reason. But before they even put her in a case, they actually had Annabelle on a chair tied up. That's right. Yeah, yeah she was actually tied up in a chair for quite some time, but she was managing to get out still. So uh, in an incident where a police officer had come over to talk to Ed about a certain case that Ed was helping with, they were both inside the actual uh, occult little museum of paranormal objects. And Ed had gone off to go do something. And he told the officer, listen, you can be in here. It's fine. Just don't touch anything because all these objects are cursed. All these objects have something attached to it. And the last thing I want is for something to happen to you. Ed walks off into into another room. The officer stays in that room and he's looking around. And then we go to Ed and Ed turns around and sees the officer coming out pale as a ghost. And all he could hear was the officer muttering, uh, mumbling, it's real. It's real. The doll is real. And all Ed could do was just kind of smirk at the fact that I told you so. Crazy. Also, another thing that happened was Lorraine was home alone and she could hear growling in the home. That's creepy. Yeah. I also read that uh, or even heard in an interview that she says she will never look at that doll again. Yes. Yeah. She will not stare at the She never wants to evil. see that doll. Yeah. She doesn't like to look at that doll ever. Huh. Yeah, that that's pretty much that's what all I had for the Annabelle story. And I will say this. There is a lot more to it. Uh, listener, I highly, highly encourage you to go check out a book called The Demonologist, The Extraordinary Career of Ed and Lorraine Warren. It has full detail of the whole Annabelle story, what happened, the Amityville story, along with uh, the Conjuring stories, just the insight, the information. And I will say this. If you're going to read this book. You better leave a light on because there is some creepiness in this book. Yeah. By the way, you can visit the Occult Museum in Connecticut, but you uh, do need to make an appointment. Yes. Yeah, you have to make an appointment, um, but you can visit the museum. They do give tours there. Mm-hmm. 
the eeriness of, of of researching this story was that I just kept feeling like somebody was was behind me. Mm. Um, I had music playing on my Amazon Music. I remember uh, I, it was uh, there was a certain song playing in the background. I won't say it just due to copyrights. And I remember I'm reading the portion about Annabelle and the blood and and the three dots. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, my music just starts going like just warping mm-hmm. in a very odd, which has never happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I play music off that thing almost every single day. Yeah. So for that to happen, and then my dog barking at something that wasn't there mm-hmm. creeped me out so much yeah. to the point where I had to call somebody <laughs> Just to you know, calm myself down until my wife got home from work. Oh man! I mean, it was oh, it was insane. So now I know there is a lot more about uh, that we didn't cover, and that was due to time. But if you'd like to know more about the Warrens, please go to their. Uh, like I said, read the book. Uh, you can also go to Warren.net. They they have a lot of information. Also, listener. There is a foundation that I learned about. It's the Ed and Lorraine Foundation. Oh. And that basically, it is run by a certain someone who I'm about to mention here soon, because he's actually going to be a special guest on this show. Oh. And <laughs> and so uh, it's run by this person. And basically what it is, it's just to help to keep the foundation and the, the museum you know up and running. So uh, listen, if you get a chance, check out the website. And like I said, read the book. So I want to real quickly here go over something, mm-hmm. and that is uh, the Amityville case, yeah. which is a very interesting case. Again, mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff that happened there is so unexplainable. That's the thing, yeah. So many like anomalies that happen to the point where you you can't really explain them by like general either coincidence or even science. For that right, matter. exactly. Um, so one thing I learned about the Amityville house is the location of where the house is built. So it turns out that the house itself is built on a property that was owned by a man who basically performed messed up autopsies Mm -hmm. on Native Americans. Yes. It was just, it was, it was basically, to my understanding, he was basically just trying to figure out how they function. Mm-hmm. And then also then when the house was built and he passed away, he, he left instructions to be buried on the property. Mm. So to me, that kind of makes me go, all right, we have someone that is dealing, doing a lot of evil-like things yeah. to two humans and then gets uh, buried on the property. Yeah. So that way he can continue his evil like ways, I guess you could say. Yeah. So the foundation already is kind of quote unquote tainted in a way. Okay. And that would explain actually a lot, especially even before the, Oh, the DeFeo's, yeah. DeFeo's family were even there too. So that means basically the house has always been kind of like always drawn to a negative energy. Yeah. And it just took either the right person or right family to just bring it out. Also, uh, the the negativity that started becoming even more in the house, um, mm-hmm. from from George Lutz being irritated all the mm-hmm. time to the kids starting to argue and bring up issues that just randomly mm-hmm. didn't make sense to, to to the mom. Yeah, that negative presence definitely started to build. build. Mm-hmm. Yeah, started to build in that house. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, there was already negativeness in that house as it is, mm-hmm. but. To add more to it just yeah. made basically the cup overflow. With that, it's mm-hmm. just it explains more and more Definitely. about the the paranormal. Um, the cases uh, with the, the with the home in the UK and and the home here in in, in the states right. definitely has a very interesting uh, tale and similarities in in those cases, uh, especially with the the lifting of the chair and and. Uh, 
uh, objects being thrown. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that I caught the most from both of your research is the smells that people would get, those mm-hmm. phantom smells. Now, to my understanding, when you get a smell like that, whether it's like a sulfur type smell or mm-hmm. a decaying body type smell, you're you're supposed to already indicate that that is an inhuman or evil spirit mm-hmm. in the home. Yeah. I guess you could say regular spirits don't really give off that type of smell, that type of decomposing type smell. Mm-hmm. And the phantom smells that you usually get, like the Queen Mary, you get like a cigar smell. That's because that's what the captain would smoke all the time. Mm-hmm. So to me, that that's definitely a demonic-like presence in that home for sure. Yeah, um, and if you ever smell something like that in your own home, you better just yeah. call somebody. <laughs> I was in my research. I realized or found out that if you see a spirit, you should not approach it. Let it approach you. Yes, yeah. yes. I was told that you were to never ever approach the spirit. I guess what is it like? They'll they'll di- they'll dis- disappear or dissipate because spirits they can hear. They can yeah. hear you, and they can they know when you're there. Um, in fact, there is a study that says supposedly we don't know if this is true or not, and we will never find out until we go upstairs. But supposedly spirits have actually better hearing than than when they were alive. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what it is that causes it, but to my understanding, they have better... It's almost like a cat. Like a cat can hear so well mm-hmm. that if you were to just make a simple noise and they look up automatically with like the deer and headlights. So it's, it's kind of similar to cats, which is, I think, really kind of... I was kind of thinking cats too, just because you don't want to, you know, you have to let the cat approach you. You can't go and try to pet the cat. They run away. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, well, listen, before we close out this episode, gentlemen, I I have a question for you and I know I had asked Gabriel this question already. So let me just ask Renee, actually, uh, what was the creepiest part about doing this research for you when it came to the Amityville uh, case? One of the things that kind of like made me kind of like very eerie, it was that the the dad would basically wake up at 315 mm. the same time that the family died before. Yeah. You know, because I don't know, because that's just like a weird, very unexplainable coincidence. That's the thing. You can't explain that away. Right. All. Yeah. And and I will say, uh, chiming on, on, the, on the 315, mm-hmm. residual energy of, of, of a death mm-hmm. in a home usually resides for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like how people get that sinking feeling when they walk into a, a room where somebody has passed away, waking up at 3.15, which three o'clock is considered to be the witching hour. Yeah, And so, yeah, it's it's the witching hour, the devil's hour. Mm-hmm. Not a surprise mm-hmm. that 3.15 would, would occur each mm-hmm. time in that house. Yeah. Excuse me. Um. So yeah, that that's definitely uh, creepy. <laughs> definitely creepy and all that. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's uh, that's going to do it for this episode of part one. Uh, I would like to thank uh, Rene Bravo and uh, and Gabriel Samaniego for joining me. Be sure to follow the show on all, all our social media pages. We've got Facebook at uh, PodParanormal87, Instagram at VoidPodcast18, Twitter at NightwingSilver, and we have a website, IntoTheVoidPod.com. That's IntoTheVoidPod.com. You can check out all our in-studio photos. You can follow us uh, and listen to the show on the website there. And now, my big announcement, because I'm very, very, very happy to be telling you and everybody that's listening to to this episode, be sure to tune into the next episode as we continue with part two of our discussion on Ed and Lorraine Warren with our special guest... Ladies and gentlemen, I am very pleased to announce that the grandson 
of Ed and Lorraine Warren will be talking to wow. us in studio here. His name is Chris McKinnell. He is the grandson of Lorraine Warren, mm-hmm. and he will be talking to us about the doll, Annabelle, mm-hmm. about the cases that he had been a part of, mm-hmm. and also a little bit a little bit about the, uh, the, the museum and the foundation that he's also running. So that's going to be really interesting. That's right. The grandson of Ed and Lorraine Warren, Chris McKinnell, will be... On this show, wow, that's wow. amazing! Yeah, I, I'm I am so so stoked about this. Uh, I've been trying to keep my mouth shut all mm. like this whole time, so I'm so happy to announce that. Any any last thoughts, Renee? No, just yeah, just be careful. Of, you know, when you're going up against spirits or anything that has like sort any sort of like history of hauntings and stuff like that, just be very weary. Don't yeah, go in thinking that you know everything or absolutely very cocky. You know, I always yeah. tell people when you're doing an investigation and you you know everything, go in like you don't know a damn thing. <laughs> yeah. Because that will just open up your world even more. Mm-hmm. The more you know, the less you understand. Exactly. Thank you, Gabriel. All right. Well, Gabriel, any final thoughts before we uh, end this uh, officially end this? I just remember um, my belief is the, the more you're you know about the topics that you're researching about all this paranormal. I believe the more you're susceptible to experiencing them yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, you become you become more of a magnet because you're now more aware of your surroundings. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here. Uh, I'm G-Man, and I want to thank you so much for falling with me into the void. We'll catch you next time. 